What I'm grateful for, and uh, we've been doing a series on gratitude in our midweek thinking, our midweek messages. What I'm grateful for is that we are allowed to meet together in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, we're allowed to be together. It may be awkward, it may be weird in some ways, but I'm just glad we can be together because we've been thinking about our values as a church over the last few months and whenever I've got the preaching slot I've talked about one of our four values and the last one on the list is oneness and it's a really good word oneness but Peter over here um, is going to give us a new word today and it's one he's invented I think because I don't think I've seen it in the dictionary it's one anothering uh, so it's a verb. So we're going to do some one anothering later as well. But we're doing some one anothering now as well. And I, I just came to think, as I've been preparing for today, you've got the values on the front of your sheet. I think I might want to switch the bottom two around because there's been this little bit of progression in my mind that as we encounter Jesus, which is our worship, which I think is where it all begins for us, we can get caught up in religion and the rules and regulations of religion, but um, it's an encounter with Jesus that we need, and it's God's presence in our lives every day, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside of me, that's where it all starts for me. So worship is the beginning, living life with Jesus at the centre, or with God at the centre, and um, I prefer to use the word Jesus just to clarify that it's a Christian value. We live life with Jesus at the centre, and we live, we live our lives with, with our bodies on the altar of sacrifice. We are allowing ourselves to be, uh, parts of ourselves to be killed. Sacrifice means killing. Uh, and so that's our act of worship. It's, it's everything that I am responding to everything that God is, which, you know, we've seen something today of what God is and how awesome he is. And for all of me to respond to all that God is, is... Uh, a life's work and we'll never complete it and once we've encountered Jesus one of the best things we'll want to do is get into his word his inerrant that means there's nothing wrong with it we might not understand it all but there's nothing wrong with his word the bible we see the bible as the word of God and we see it as our guidebook for living so as our worship spills out of our lives we need guidance we need discipling and, and the word of God is one of these, these values are things that we just never want to depart from. Whatever happens, whatever building we meet in, whatever restrictions we're under, these values won't change. And that's concrete for this church. Um, and then the next one um, was work. And we talked about letting God work in us and through us. And we did that last week, talked a bit about that last week. And I, I still see this progression here as we, as we encounter Jesus and we find him in his word, he starts to speak to us, and he finds that, we find that he's got things that he wants to change in me, and uh, you might find that hard to believe, but there's things about me that God wants to change, he wants to work in me, and he wants to work through me, some of us are just still dealing with the whole thing of God working in us, in order to prepare us for work that he's been prepared in advance for us to do. And then the last one is oneness, which is one we'll talk about today. But I said I, in future I might think about switching them around, and I think you'll see why as we talk about this passage, which is in the middle of the, sorry, the bottom of the inside of your, of your sheets. And it's um, from Luke's, Luke chapter 6, 
verses 12 to 19. And forgive me if you don't see this in here, but in here, um, I've heard this said before, that there's a, a sort of a pattern here that we could follow. And um, if you think this is sort of sermon stretching what Scripture is saying, then that's up to you. But here's, here's the point I want to get across, is that Jesus went up to a mountainside to spend the night in prayer with God. And that's where it starts. It starts with worship. It starts, well, this, this is where we can't say Jesus was living with Jesus at the centre. He was living with God at the centre. Jesus the man was living life with God at the centre, our first volume. He spent time with the Father. And I have to say to you today, that, that is the most, that is the priority for us all is to sit at his feet and to, to be with Jesus or to be with God. And Jesus set that priority. And then, when morning came, sorry, I, I paraphrase or I put it in my own words. I'll start from the beginning. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he, whom he also designated apostles. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, and sorry, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. What an incredible encounter with Jesus they had. But what I put along the bottom is to try and explain this pattern that we can sort of draw from this passage. That it started with Jesus. If we take Jesus as our example of, of living a good life, the good life, um, he starts in communion with the Father. He starts in prayer with God before he builds his community. So these different words for a similar idea of he starts in communion, by communion we mean fellowship and oneness with God in that way, not the holy communion where we take bread and wine. Um, he starts with communion with the Father. That's the apex of the mountain if you like. He's on the mountainside praying. And then he comes down and builds community. And I've got to say, to build, and that's the oneness that we're talking about today, I've got to say, to build community without God at the centre, it will not last. It won't work. And then the third stage is, once he's built community, comes ministry. So we've got this flow, and I, in my mind, is, and if you don't see it in the passage there, I still think it's true. We've got to start with our, our own individual personal relationships with God or with Jesus. Now the disciples had this too because they were called to be with Jesus in, in Mark 3, I don't know, let's say 14. In, in Mark 3, he, he, he calls the disciples so that they could be with him or accompany him. But I like the idea that the first thing they had to do was to be with Jesus and then so he could send them out to preach. Their time with Jesus was crucial, it was important, it was precious, it was, it was so crucial that we need to learn something from this. If we're going to build oneness amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ, it won't work if we just try being nice to each other and overlooking our differences. 
the cracks will start to form. Or we just keep it shallow and keep it social, sort of socially distanced in, a, in an emotional way. I'm not talking about that phrase in its usual term. I'm saying we just keep it, you know, keep it shallow. Let's not let's not dig up any any skeletons from the closet or, or or anything. Let's just keep it safe and it's social and it's shallow and it's meaningless. So we can do that. We can we can kind of look like we're one. Um, and it's something, um, a, a phrase Vezza's introduced to me, which is called false harmony. You know, you're just kind of getting along, but it's false harmony. But that's the only way we can do it without God. So what I'm trying to say is, we need a relationship with God. I'm here trying to talk about oneness as a church, uh, but I'm actually trying to say it'll only work if you have your own individual walk with Jesus, you're sitting at his feet, you're listening to him, you're, you've got your way, we're all different, we've all got our own ways of interacting with Jesus. I'm sure the 12 disciples did as well. Some lay on his, on his chest at, the, you know, at one place and some sort of wrestled with ideas within. I'm sure they all interacted with Jesus in their own way. You've got to find your way using the word, using time, using silence, using whatever it takes, using speaking in tongues if you receive that gift, and get aligned with God. Because when Jesus went up that mountain for a whole night of prayer, he was coming down the mountain to select his twelve. And he was making sure that God, sorry, Jesus the human was aligned with God. His, his thinking was aligned with the will of God. And if we don't stay close to Jesus in these troubled times, our thinking will stop being aligned with God and we will automatically align our thinking with something else. And the Bible says we are to fix our minds, fix our minds on things above, not on earthly things. So whatever's happening around you, in your family, in your finance, in the news, in the health of the nation, whatever's happening, our eyes are fixed on Jesus, which is why Paul started by explaining how awesome God is. He is eternal. This earth will soon be folded up and like a scroll. <laughs> the God who created it in a word, in words, will fold it up and it'll all be over and we'll be standing in glory with Jesus. It's temporary. Our eyes are on the goal, like the eternal goal. And if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus and on God, we won't survive as a community. There'll be division within us. I've seen it. I've been, I keep saying I've been in church all my life. I've seen it many times. So the danger is, so have you got the pattern now? We've got this idea, we start with God, and the preacher I heard talk about this called it uh, called that communion, and, and, uh, and then we come to community, and then we come to ministry. Ministry comes after. And that's why I put work at the bottom now of the list. Not, not that it's not important, but I just think there's a progression there. We come to ministry. Here's the reverse, which I have seen in church life. We do it all back to front. We start with the ministry. Someone has a really good idea. They're going to start a soup kitchen, let's say. Or they're going to do some kind of mums and toddlers group. And it's going to be a great outreach. And they're all enthusiastic. They haven't consulted God about it. They're just really keen. And they can see the need. And it's important. And why wouldn't it be the right thing to do? So they start this ministry, whatever it is. And then they realise they can't do it on their own. So they go to the Community, see these three layers, unity, community, ministry, but they're going backwards. So they go to the people, and they get some people on board because it's enthusiastic, and it's 
going to work and then some trouble hits and it gets awkward and it gets difficult and they need some money. And there's people in the community who, who did offer help but they sort of tail away and this person who started it, they're all enthusiastic and it's not working now. We're peddling in our own strength and we've not really consulted God. And some people have said, yeah, I'll help you, I'll get on board. And others who didn't have the energy said, I'll give you money. I don't, know, I don't want to get involved, but I'll give you some money towards it. And those with no money said, well, pray. I'll give you prayer support. <laughs> <laughs> and then this ministry, whatever it is, mums and toddlers, soup kitchen, something else, it just all goes a bit weird or difficult or it, it starts, folds up or whatever. And the person who starts it goes to God. Oh, finally they go to God. They say, God, will you help me with this thing? And God's like, ah, at last we can talk. <laughs> It's the other way around, guys. We've got to start with God. And that's why when people have said to me over the last, since we've been open again in person, um, when are we going to start this again? When are we going to start that again? How come Mark's doing a men's ministry and other people aren't doing something else? And I've said to them, God told Mark to do that. And he came, Mark came to me about three years ago and said, I feel like God's telling me to start a, a men's ministry. I'm going to do it really slow, really simple. Just going to gather guys and see where it leads. And that is because Mark spends time with God. He goes for walks, he prays, he's not perfect like he's just said, but he's someone <laughs> like as imperfect like the rest of us who starts with God, then the community emerges. We had 16 guys. Look how small our church is right now. What is it, 30 people in here? But we had 16 guys come for breakfast recently. That's a big number, especially with men as well, with a church thing, you know. Um, because God's blessing something, because he's set it up. And that's all tied in with this oneness idea. So we do this danger thing of, of doing it in reverse. We start the ministry and, and we try and get community working without God. We need to all be aligned to God first. Here's the other danger that happens if we're not aligned to God first. We find um, significance in the, in the oneness, and we find comfort in the oneness, and that's all really good. But if we're finding the comfort from our fellowship with people, but we've not got it from God as well, there's a danger, all right? Because um, I might have some problems, I talk to William about it, and then William lets me down, and then I just feel shattered. Because I haven't even talked to God about my problems. Or I'm finding my security and, uh, in, in this lovely, loving church family. I'm finding my security in it. And then something happens where I feel upset by somebody in that, in that loving church family. And I take umbrage. It's a nice word. I get upset about it. And the reason I get upset and I feel like not coming anymore. And I can't see that person anymore. And I, I, just, I don't want to come if they're coming. And all that sort of thing happens. Um, is because I haven't got my confidence in Christ. I haven't got my significance in Christ. So our oneness has to be born out of a unity with the Father first. Fellowship with the Father. That's what Jesus did. He fellowships with the Father before he built any kind of oneness together. Really important. Okay. Second part of scripture I wanted to look at that's not on the sheets is one because we're a Pentecostal church and we 
love Acts chapter 2, don't we? You know? <laughs> Whoa, Acts chapter 2, that's, that's got to be our, one of our favourite, if we're proper Pentecostals, Acts chapter 2. And the obvious point about that, it's all about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the, the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit came. And that's powerful, it's important, it's paramount, and we hold fast to our Pentecostal heritage as a church. However, there's another message in this Acts chapter 2 that I would like to point out to you, and that's oneness. And I would like to suggest that Pentecostal power without, without church unity is weakened. The power is weakened. Now that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's weak, it just means the stuff that God can do through us is far less if we're not together. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, they were all together in one place when the Holy Spirit came. They were all together in one place. Is that, is that repetition? Well, I think they're of one accord. They are together. There's a togetherness. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. He didn't say, wait in one place. But they were together. They wanted to be together. They were of one accord. They were of one mind. They, they were seeking after God. They weren't discussing who's going to arrange the flowers and who's playing piano next week and, and, and why don't we have an organ anymore. They weren't discussing anything like that. They, the only thing they wanted was what Jesus had promised, what the Father had promised. That was their one mindset. They were of one mind. They wanted this message that they'd found to be spread, but they didn't want to do it without the Holy Spirit. So in verse 1 you see that they were of one accord. How good and pleasant it is when, when brothers and sisters dwell in unity because there God commands a blessing. Yeah. Unity, so crucial, we must preserve it. When we disagree with someone, let's lovingly disagree. Yeah, I don't agree with all of you on some stuff that's not even mentioned in the Bible, just to do with, let's, let's pick politics in general. I don't agree with you all. It's impossible. I don't even know what you think, but I know I don't agree with you all, because it's impossible. I can't do. Can we lovingly disagree? Especially on things that aren't even about the gospel and spreading the word to people that are dying and going to hell. Can we just not argue over stuff, or just say, look, can we be so close in friendship that we can actually acknowledge, I don't agree with you, but I love you. Somebody rang me up this week and said, John, I've got your email about face masks and I think you're wrong. And I am so, uh, now this is me speaking now, the close, close speech marks. I am so grateful they rang me because they did it lovingly. We didn't fall out. And, and you know, they put their point of view across and I just said, well, I'm just reporting what the government says and we do have to obey the law and stuff like that. And it was fine, because there's that connection of relationship where we're not finding our security in our relationship to one another. My security is in Christ, so I'm not offended if someone disagrees with me. I'm not going to fall out over it, please. It's more important things to argue over. So they're of one accord. They're not arguing over face masks, and they're not arguing over things. And I'm not going to argue over stuff, unless someone's saying, you've got to stop preaching the gospel. And then, then that's different. But we, let's be of one accord over the important things. And let's be, just be messy if it has to be messy. Let's just be honest and say, look, I disagree with you. But I love you. I can't let this disagreement 
stop us from moving forward in the plans and purposes of God for his church. Amen. So they're of one of court, one, they're of one of the court. And then in the same chapter, around about verse 44, um, that, that it's mentioned again that they had everything in common. Now, obviously, that can't have meant in a natural sense. We didn't all have everything in common. It's like what, what uh, people say when they're just starting a new relationship. Oh, I can't so well with him. We're going to get married because we've got everything in common. <laughs> yeah, well, just give it time, love. Give it time. <laughs> Same sense of humour. They didn't have everything in common in that way, but I think that the fact was that they were so focused on the important things, and they had those things in common, they set their mind on things above, not on earthly things, that the material things didn't matter. They sold their possessions and gave them to the poor and laid them at the apostles' feet. They shared amongst themselves possessions. Nobody felt like what they had was their own. They just shared and they, they knew they weren't going to be abused because they had everything in common because everything was for Jesus. Everything was for the gospel. It didn't matter. There was oneness amongst the brothers and sisters of the early church. So here's my point. Here's my point. I think some churches are really good at being Pentecostal and speaking in tongues and doing prophecies and all that sort of thing. And they get together, do that, and they go away, and they're individuals. I also think some churches are really good at being loving Christian families, but they've got no power of the Holy Spirit. But when you get the two together, you can change the world. Imagine the power of a unified church that the enemy hasn't caught division into, that's just so on fire for Jesus, so full of the Holy Spirit, so together, so unified, so like an arrow cutting through the rubbish that's going on in the world. Imagine the power of such a church, such an organisation. Imagine the exponential growth that happened in the book of Acts. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit, and I know I'm on dangerous ground even saying that. It was the fact that they were unified as well. The two together. So can we have a loving Christian family? We can only do it if we're aligned with God first. Because there's so much else. We find security in each other, and then one of us lets each other down. It doesn't work. We, we make it shallow, but we, we're not you know, fulfilled in ministry. There's so much that can go wrong, but... So, just a really quick three-point summary. Number one, um, I don't know what three points were, I knew I had three. Number one was, um, yeah, number one was fellowship with the Father. Number two was be filled with the Holy Spirit. And number three is build relationships. We only meet once a week and a few of us meet on Zoom once a week as well. Can we just build relationships anyway? When we get together with people, can we talk Bible? I put out a midweek meeting, a, a, a midweek message once a week. It's only ten minutes long at the moment. The ones I'm doing, maybe just talk about that. Did you look at that? Or maybe maybe do a Bible reading plan together. We're not in a position to start home groups at the moment, but can we build relationships anyway? Can we meet for coffee on a Monday morning? Can we can we do stuff together? And can we allow it to get a little bit messy in order to be real with each other? And just love each other anyway. Okay, so Peter has a few other words to add. And I'm going to ask him up now. Um, every year, as a personal thing for me, I ask the Lord for a word that I can pray for my church. And it's just 
whatever that is, I pray that throughout the year. Um, Sue and I decided we would join um, Brixham Community Church um, about this time last year. But um, COVID and Sue passing on from this life into the arms and embrace of Jesus in May, um, and of course restrictions in meeting together prevented it. But for me personally, whenever I'm invited to a meal, uh, that's an offer if you like that, I would always bring either flowers, a bottle of wine, some chocolates or something. I would never go empty handed. And I really feel that every morning we should have that same ethos that I'm, I'm coming to church, not empty-handed. I'm coming whether it's with a word or an encouragement. Sometimes you may have an encouragement and you've got no idea who it's for. But during conversations before and after, you know the Lord has given you an appointment to share that word. So I would encourage you, it says in Psalms that I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his cause with praise. It doesn't mean we come to church and as soon as we walk through that door, well, we're going to get praise and um, thanksgiving on our lips. We're already coming with that gift. Um, the reason I'm sharing was that I was very much taken with the series that John was doing, and particularly wonders, because this was something on my heart that the Lord gave me to pray for this church. Um, the word I got was one anothering, and I know that in correct English it is probably two words, but I prefer it as one word because it, you know one another it's being together it's not part or separated in any way um, John 13 uh, verse 15 in the Amplified Jesus said by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love and unselfish concern for one another um, having this word I began to look it up and I found that uh, in the, my NIV Bible, one another or each other is mentioned about a hundred times in the New Testament. So far, I've found 59 commands about one another or each other. Fifth, out of those, 53 are specific commands on how we are to treat one another and then there are six on how not to treat one another but just a little bit of homework is twice in Ephesians and Romans uh, now I'm going to put um, a list of all the one another's that I've found so far which is available for you to take away so I'm not going to give references but twice Paul reminds us that we are members of one another. And I think the homework is, what does that mean to you? What does being a member with John, a member with me, what does it mean 
we're members of one another. And I think just take that word, that verse home with you and ask, what does that mean to me? How can we be members of one another? And of course it means that we've got to, as Jonathan's saying, live together in oneness. And um, the focus of all these one another's in the Gospels spoken by Jesus and the letters of Paul, James, John and Peter is always primarily addressed to the local church, to your fellowship for us. The one another's is for our, our church individually. We don't go to the shops and one another the person behind the counter, but we one another each other. Um, we, we are, of course, showing respect and kindness to people outside the church, but we're called um, by Jesus to do something more. We're to be one another-y. Um, I will give you just some examples through, through the scriptures of um, one another. It says, be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. It says, love one another, which I think is about 13 times. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's sad when people come to church and they leave feeling they weren't accepted. But it says, accept one another as Jesus accepts us. Instruct one another. Have equal concern for one another. Serve one another in love. Difficult one. Admonish one another. But again, it's always got to be in love. Um, carry each other's burdens. Be compassionate and kind to one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Encourage one another, not on Sundays, but daily. Um, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Again, um, part of the messy stuff sometimes, confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. And each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. These are all positive things for the building up of the church. But at the same time, they're for the building up of ourselves as members of each other. And there are six times where it's where, where it quite clearly we're commanded how not to treat. Um, stop passing judgment on one another. Don't keep on biting and devouring each other, otherwise you will destroy each other. Do not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do not slander each other. Do not lie to each other. Again, <coughs> those things are, are so are already given to us. In, in the commandments um, and Jesus saying that we should love one another um, the good news is that none of us are exempt or from one another in each other it doesn't matter how old or how young you are you don't need to be 
and of the pastor or um, a leader of the church. You don't need a degree. You don't need an IQ of plus 140. Um, each one of us, in our own way, can love one another. Uh, and we can serve one another. Um, I think for me, um, the Apostle Paul sums it up. Um, the way that I read it anyway, interpreted it in Peter 2, 2 Peter 5 to 8. Um, and uh, in the NIV it's headed up, uh, making one's calling and election sure. And it says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, to your goodness, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and then, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and finally, to brotherly kindness, love. Um, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage gives us eight qualities to make us effective and productive in our Christian walk and witness. The first six qualities, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance and godliness, as uh, John was saying um, just uh, a little while ago, are concerned with our own spiritual growth, our own individual relationship with God, with him being at the centre, uh, Jesus being at the centre of our lives. The seventh quality, it says, add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. And to me, this um, speaks to me that brotherly love is one anothering. Yes. As we brotherly love is one anothering. Um, since Sue um, passed the glory, I've been doing a lot of things for myself for the first time. Um, one of them was I decided, because I'm spending a lot of time with family, was I would make Christmas cakes. Oh. <laughs> and using this as an, an analogy, um, the first six qualities are the ingredients yeah. of what you need. Um, I didn't realise how many different ingredients <laughs> you actually need to make a Christmas cake. Um, so, um, but the one another in the seventh quality, properly kindness, is when those ingredients are mixed together. And uh, the interesting thing um, John mentioned about sometimes in our relationships things get messy. Well, I was doing fine making, putting the ingredients together, but when I added the beaten egg to it, it got very, very messy. Sue <laughs> <laughs> so always used to moan at me whenever I had toast and marmalade because she said all the handles in the kitchen were sticking. <laughs> It was messy. It, it got messy, and I got it 
all down myself as well. But what that felt would all say to me is that when we are mixed together, we change from being ingredients to being a recipe. And, uh, and then we are, that something completely different is created. Um, like there are so many ingredients um, to make a cake, so many different types of fruits, nuts, etc., etc., baking powder, flour, sugar, eggs, orange zest, lemon zest, orange juice, lemon juice, proper brandy, whatever it is. Um, there's so many, and likewise, we are so many, so um, we're all needed as a part of the ingredient for this church. And the interesting thing is, is that um, whenever people I've known that make cakes, they don't just eat it themselves, it's always made for sharing. Yeah. And I think a, a natural overflow from one another is um, going on to the sixth, the eighth um, quality, where it says, and to God did he find us love. That is, when we are one another in one another, when we're mixed together, it creates brotherly love. And uh, this naturally overflows from our lives into the community. And it's something that we want to share. I've made cakes, and I want to share them with my family. I don't want to eat them myself. And I think I've never known anyone that makes cakes that, um, you know, do nothing but share them. And uh, but I think that um, one another is my buzzword for the year. Um, but the other interesting thing about cooking was that when it was in the oven, well, did it smell nice? <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever walked past a baker's shop, um, you know, early in the morning when it, 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 you tend to be drawn to the source. <laughs> we want Jesus so mixed up in our lives that we want people to be drawn to the source of our um, And I'll just conclude is that um, my prayer is that um, one another would just simply be a hallmark of the Jewish community. Father, we thank you that um, without you we're nothing but just ingredients. And Father, we thank you that, um, Lord, you want us to have you as the centre of our lives. But Lord, as you came down from the mountain, Lord, you began to draw people to you, Lord, and you began to teach them. Father, we ask that we might be taught, Lord, um, these values that John's been going through, Lord, that we might become a one another in church, Lord, that we might encourage one another daily, Lord, that we might uh, teach and uh, share each other's burdens. And Lord, we pray that um, through this one anothering, Lord, that um, people will see that truly 
Brixham Community Church is a church of your disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.